You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I am your host, Howard Megdahl, with a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. Follow us on Facebook by liking Locked On Women's Basketball. And I would urge you to subscribe to us on iTunes and go ahead and review us if you can. That uh, only increases our audience and by extension the audience for women's basketball. Uh, And speaking of someone who increases the audience for women's basketball and does so much, uh, I just want to share a brief story about LaChina Robinson who's here uh, with us today. She came up to me at the end of the Final Four last year to thank me for my work promoting women's basketball. And I just thought that was the funniest thing because it would be like like the colonel coming up to me and thanking me for uh, putting KFC all over the map. I mean, it, she does more <laughs> than anybody else. LaChina, thank you so much for being here with us today. Howard, it is a pleasure and an honor to be on your podcast. I, I was a little slow at figuring out what was going on with Locked On Women's Basketball, but now that I know you're in charge, I'm all over it. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you, you know a lot about terrific podcasts, of course, with Around the Rim as well, which, as you know, is must-listen for me and for anyone who cares about the game. I, I find it really interesting, though, your decision-making process to go cover women's basketball. Uh, Gabrielle Levine, friend of the podcast, did a terrific piece about uh, you and your decision for Vice Sports a couple months ago. But take our listeners, if you can, through that decision, because uh, you could have done anything and gone anywhere. Yeah, well, I actually thought I was going to be a lawyer, you know, when I uh, started at Wake Forest. I played basketball there, and then um, really just fell more in love with the game of basketball during my time, my collegiate career. So I wanted to stay around sport. I actually started the first seven years of my career in athletic administration because I wanted to be an AD. I wanted to be an athletics director. Mm-hmm. So television wasn't even on the radar. You know, I wasn't a communications major, wasn't a broadcast major, but I've always been, I've always felt like I wanted and needed uh, to take care of the game that gave so much to me, you know, gave me an education, helped me grow as a woman. So, um, again, worked trying to be an athletic director for the first seven years, and then I started in radio my last two years. I was at Georgia Tech at the time mm-hmm. and loved it, you know, decided just to, to move forward with that. But as far as the women's basketball side, you know, it's interesting with this being we back Pat week and looking at Pat Summit, looking back at old videos about her and things that she said, you know, it really resonates with me that she she felt like her purpose was to build and grow and help women, um, and she did that probably better than anyone I could I could name at this moment. I mean, she said her calling in life was to make a difference in the lives of young women, and I've always felt that that was my calling as well. And you know, I've had offers to work on the NBA side and to work in men's sports, and everyone says, oh, but it's more attention and more popular more popularity or you know that there are all these other more money but for me it's never been about that you know it's about sharing the stories of of women and and these coaches and these programs that are so undercovered and and I feel like underappreciated yeah, and something you said to Gab, I think, captures it so well, which is the idea that if it is, it, it you take it, at, it will be taken as seriously as we take it, and that if yeah. women's basketball is treated as something lesser, something after, the way, quite frankly, it is in a lot of corners, that 
that's going to radiate out and it's going to affect the way the game is covered, the way the game is perceived, and the way the game can grow. And the reverse is absolutely true. So having top-level talent like yourself doing it, I think, makes a really significant difference. I'm wondering whether you see it now as fundamentally different than the way the game was covered during your playing days. What, what do you see as some of the biggest changes? Oh, man, definitely the online presence, you know, where we've grown as far as technology, where, you know, the money obviously has never been equal when it comes to women's basketball versus men's basketball versus football. But I think the opportunity for people like me or like you to share content online, you know, the fact that every game doesn't have to be on television, but you can watch online now. I mean, that has been a huge difference because it kind of at least starts the conversation of how can we level the playing field. You know, Twitter has been um, a great space, and even for fans, you know. I mean, I think fans have a place where they can go on Twitter, on social media, places like that, and express their interest for in women's sports and in its coverage and in women's basketball. So, you know, and going back to your point about, you know, it's a, as big of a deal as you make it, you know, I feel like I have a pure love for the game of women's basketball. You know, and all basketball is basketball. I love basketball in general, but I have a pure love for the women's game. And to me, that's a gift, you know. And I don't have to pretend to be excited. I am generally excited about I don't care who the two teams are. Mm-hmm. You know, because I love the game so much, I just have a general love and excitement for it. And to share that um, with the fans, you know, I would be doing a disservice to be working anywhere else. Well, I, I, I can vouch for that, and it's always an enjoyable thing to be working a game that you are you are at, because I know we, we share that excitement as well. well yeah. Let, let, let's talk about the specifics of this game that we both love, and the place I want to start is a highly controversial tweet that you put out there uh, yesterday, I believe, or possibly the day before, in support of Charlie Cream's decision to put Mississippi State as the fourth number one seed uh, versus uh, Maryland, which got moved uh, to a two-seed line. And uh, I I joke about it being controversial, but I'm curious how you come to that conclusion and how difficult that is. Uh, Obviously, Mississippi State having such a great year, but Maryland having the only loss be uh, by a very small margin to UConn. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. I talked to Charlie a little bit um, on our podcast last week, and, you know, we talked about a lot of factors, obviously scheduling, who you play, who you've beaten, all that comes into play. But I think what where I like to invest a lot of my time is, is in the eye test. You know, mm-hmm. I watch a lot of basketball. I watch a lot of teams. I've tried to figure out this formula just like everyone else has of who can be UConn and, you know, I think Maryland is a fantastic team. I think they have an opportunity to um, to win a, a national championship this year based on what I saw when they played UConn and what I've seen from them over the course of this year. You know, but I gave the nod to Mississippi State because there are a couple factors that, that stand out to me. Number one, again, I always go with who can be UConn, right? Because Howard, at the end of the day, they are the reigning champs. They've been They've won the last four. So when I think about teams that could be in that conversation, I look at Mississippi State, and I feel like you have to have something you do really, really well to be a team like Connecticut. And Mississippi State has tremendous athletes, okay? Um, And they really buy into their defense, which has been what they've hung their hat on year after year after year. And they, they put a lot of time 
Vic Schaefer is fantastic. He's one of the best in teaching defense. I feel like they they have a bread and butter. I also feel like a key ingredient is experience. That's the one area I think Maryland is is lacking. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm thinking Mississippi State is they're undefeated. You know, so that's number one. We don't we don't know where they match up with the Yukons or South Carolina, which we'll we'll, we'll see that. But mm-hmm. they they they're they're without blemish. So to me, it's their experience. Um, it's their depth. It's it's a hundred percent that they have this identity that they stick to with their athletic play that they're of their defense and they have everything you need they have off they have balance on the offense more offensive and more balance this year than they that they had previously you know we knew about vivians but going beyond that i think morgan william is one of the best point guards in the country oh, yeah. dominique dillingham dominique dillingham let me tell you is the most fearless defender in the college women's game, period. And I will say that without a doubt. Wow. So I just feel like at this point, Mississippi State um, has earned the right to be on that one line. Yeah, and it makes sense. It's for me, and just to play devil's advocate, I agree 100% that there needs to be something that you do, something that's your bread and butter. To me, Maryland has two of those things. One of them is their offensive efficiency. So when you look at uh, the fact that Bree Jones is not just an elite scorer inside, but she's shooting about 70% from the field, and Shaturi Walker-Kimbrough is not just a an effective win scorer, but she's uh, her true shooting percentage is up around 70% because of the way she shoots the three. I put that as one of the two things that they do that's really vital and it's you can't waste possessions against UConn and so they really don't and then the other is how do you get extra possessions and Maryland being such an elite rebounding team I think that was key in terms of their ability to to stay with UConn as well Uh, it'll be fascinating to see what Mississippi State can do like you said a vastly different more improved team but imagine the motivation that there has to be to go out and go after UConn, the team that not only knocked them out of the tournament last year, but did it in such historic fashion, winning 98-38. to 38. I, Do you think that plays a part in the way Mississippi State thinks about redemption this year? Yeah, you know, I do. I do think that it comes into play. Um, you know, everyone knows that that is the – that's the – the standard, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and I agree with you about Maryland. I think they have a lot of pieces, and I'm not saying that this is a a large margin by which I would put Mississippi State um, on on that one line, but I just feel like um, Mississippi State has earned the right to be there. Yeah. You know, they're without blemish. They're 18 and 0, um, and that right now it gives them a slight advantage because of their depth and because of their experience. Now, obviously, hopefully they'll be, they'll be healthy in all of this. Um, I, I'm thinking about their 100% healthy team and everyone being involved and everyone playing, but um, I just think that right now they, they, have, they have the edge. Yeah, and, and really, how do you argue against an undefeated team in the one line? But that, that upcoming test against South Carolina, man, that is circle in my calendar. I'm sure yours as well. Uh, it, it, in yeah. terms of teams that you have been able to see up close lately. You had the chance to see Syracuse this past weekend uh, against Georgia Tech, obviously a place where you have ties as well, and a big win for Georgia Tech, but I'm curious why you think that the backcourt in Syracuse is not talked about more. Alexis Peterson putting up some crazy numbers. She set that Carrier Dome record, of course, for most points in a game, and Brittany Sykes, who's just so Newark tough and smart, 
Uh, I, I'm just really impressed with them. They talk about themselves as the best backcourt in college basketball. You think they have a case for it? I think they do. You know, I, I've been really impressed with what Syracuse has done. I mean, even looking at their – even more so after this past game mm -hmm. uh, because they don't have a lot of balance on that backcourt. You know, uh, they don't – in terms of depth, like they don't have the Brianna Butlers. They, they're all freshmen and sophomores coming off the bench. So the noise that they have been able to make this year – have been all Brittany Sykes and Alexis Peterson. Mm -hmm. And I've seen Peterson, just like you did, just like the nation did, really, I mean, just carry her team to the national championship game. Like, who saw that happening, you know? And when you look at the number of big plays, when you look at Syracuse's identity, how disciplined they are, it starts with those two players. And because they play on both ends of the floors, I mean, you look at steals and Alexis Peterson is there. You don't want to face Brittany Sykes on an out-of-bounds trying to get the ball trying to get the ball in. So they have the defensive end covered, but they can also put up a tremendous amount of points. Um, you know, I just think that they do have an argument for it because of what they've been able to do for Syracuse and the lack of balance and depth. Now, that may keep that team from doing more. You know, I think that's what kept them from beating Georgia Tech. I mean, you can't rely on just two players in, night in and night out. But if I had to put my money on, on a backcourt, especially after last year getting to the national championship game and we were playing two on two, I would put my $2 on those two players. Yeah, that, 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 I don't think you'd go wrong with it. I, I was so struck after that final game and it, it is a difficult thing to lose the way teams lost to UConn last year. And, and it was no different in the championship game, but Brittany Seitz held her head up high and the way she talked to us, she just she understood that she had put everything out there. And I, I still remember they went on that 16-0 run in the third quarter against a team that, quite frankly, I think will be the best I've covered in any sport. And so oh, it's, for sure. I mean, it's an, an amazing thing. Uh, listen, they, they've got, and their schedule coming up is going to be fascinating because they're going to need to get big wins to make the tournament. They have a win over NC State, but their next three are at Florida State, Miami at home, and then at Virginia Tech. So it is not getting easier for a team that's 13-6. and six. So seeing what they do, I, what do, you, do you think they need to win two of those three to be uh, in the conversation and safely within the tournament? Um, they definitely have to do well in ACC play. You know, yeah. the good thing for them is the ACC is so tough and so deep this year that, um, you know, you'll have opportunities night in and night out to, to raise your RPI and to put yourself in better position. But I think they do have to fare well, especially with the loss to Georgia Tech. Now, Georgia Tech has had a, had a solid year, but you can't have too many games where on paper you should have won mm -hmm. um, and, and you don't pull out the victory. You know, the thing about Syracuse is if you can match their mental toughness, I mean, to play a zone – uh, a full game, you know, they played a little more man this year, but to play a zone an entire game, to buy into, you know, their equation of taking the three-point shots and going to all the offensive glass and sometimes maybe not being as great in transition, like it takes a lot of mental toughness and discipline to play that style. Um, and, and a lot of teams aren't ready to, to do that. So their identity is their biggest advantage. Yeah, I 100% agree with you and always fascinating to see. Now, now there's another orange team that we ought to talk about, had a big win last night, uh, and that's Tennessee, who went out and beat Notre Dame. I I'm just curious what your initial thoughts were uh, about that game as it related to both teams. 
Yeah, well, wow, I was impressed with Tennessee. I mean, I've watched them a couple times this year and just been um, under – I just was not impressed mm-hmm. with more so the effort than anything. You know, I think when we – when I think about Tennessee, I think about playing hard. I think about rebounding, defense, just what their legacy has been going back to the Pat Summit days. But last night I, I saw some of that, you know. I saw – uh, quite a bit of that, especially down the stretch against a very tough Notre Dame team. I thought Diamond DeShields played under control. I thought, um, you know, I loved her effort. Obviously, that's been in question at times is, you know, her consistent effort and her consistent leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, am I surprised they beat Notre Dame? No. I mean, Mercedes Russell is, is having a, a great year. On paper, they should win that game. I mean, right. they're at home. That should be a competitive game, you know, but – um, on the flip side of that, you know, Notre Dame just haven't been as good as I thought they would be this year, you know, and I haven't really been able to put my finger on it. I think some of it is is, is inexperience. Um, you know, you look at Mabry and Agumba Wale, some of those pieces, and even with Brianna Turner, who hasn't been healthy, um, you know, for a great deal of her career, I don't know that they have the, the on-court experience and chemistry that we've seen from other Notre Dame teams. And you know just as, I, as well as I do, Howard, that you can have talent, you can have great coaching, but the right mix of players, um, having the right chemistry and having that experience of playing together is important. And um, sometimes that team doesn't look as connected as I feel like they should be. Um, I also think Brianna Turner has to continue to grow um, offensively. Yeah. You know, I think – Notre Dame has always been known for, you know, that high post game, whether it's a Chanwa or, or Dev Peters, or just their ability to, to score from the high post to make great passes, that chemistry, the assists. And I don't see that. And so I think the more Turner grows and, and can, can provide more offense in the paint, in the lane, the high post, low block, wherever that is, that'll make them a better team. See, that's really interesting because I, I agree with you. And, and, and in a very un-Notre Dame kind of way, we're just so used to Muffet teams being greater than the sum of their parts. But that has to come from, like you said, playing together more. And that really may be as, as simple as, as the answer to it. But um, I, I, I think you're absolutely right about both them. And with Tennessee, realistically on paper, there's no one who ought to beat Tennessee when they're playing, whether it's at home and, quite frankly, mostly on the road, the, the number that stuck out to me, because I, I was curious ahead of the game last night, and I went on, on Synergy to take a look, is that Tennessee is uh, something like 62nd in the country in defense on the half-court sets, but in terms of transition, they're 130th. And you think about the athletes mm-hmm. on that Tennessee team, there is no excuse for them to be getting beaten consistently on transition going down the other way. So that, that comes down to effort as well. What do you think it takes for that to turn around on a consistent basis? How do you make a team provide the effort that they did, quite frankly, under Pat Summit for decades and decades? Yeah, I think it, it's – Holly has such a tough job. You know, I mean, look at what we're saying. We're talking about Pat Summit. We're talking about decades. Um, you know, it's almost like there's a new regime. Even though Holly came up under that system, you know, you're missing a big piece. So in ways I think it's unfair because mm-hmm. that bar is, is set so, so high and no one is ever going to be a Pat Summit led Lady Vols program. 
Um, but also, I think, you know, it's it's finding the right players. You know, I, when I talk to Kara Lawson and when I talk to uh, Tamika Catchings, like, I'm just in awe of what they feel like their responsibility is wearing that uniform. And I don't know how you go about reinforcing that. I think last night with it being we back Pat and Candace Parker there and Carol Lawson there, those players understood up close and personal what the expectation is, you know, for that program. And, and so I think it's about how Holly can go about reviving that, that way of thinking and, and bringing that back to the program. And, and some of it is just, you know, finding the right players. And, and some of it is with the players they have, they have, just constantly keeping in front of them what the expectation is to be a Lady Ball. And, and, you know, it's funny what you said. Holly is three Elite Eights under her belt. And I guess I wonder if you were just about any other SEC program or really any Power Five uh, program in the country and you had three recent Elite Eights and you had been a contender, would this be considered disappointing anywhere else? And, and by extension, is it fair to expect Tennessee to be something more than a consistent Elite Eight team, a Final Four contender, uh, just because of the eight national championships that came before? Well, I think you look at the talent on paper, you know, you look at the program expectations, and what I think people are, are looking for is not necessarily where Tennessee ends up. I do think that's a big part of it because – if we were just looking at that, that's not bad. I mean, the Elite Eights, I mean, come on. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty nice list of accomplishments. But it's how they play night in and night out, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I think that's where the disappointment comes in is the inconsistency because we're not used to that. I mean, you knew when you watched Tennessee, when you, the Lady Vols took the court, you were going to see a game. They were going to play all-out effort, togetherness, play hard, defense, rebound. Like you, there, you knew what to expect. Yeah. And I think more than anything, that's the part that um, is the letdown. It, yeah, those accomplishments are great. But the consistency, I think, would be more appreciated than anything else. The 14 losses last year rather than the Elite Eight. No, I, I, the point is really well taken. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Tamika Catchings, and I just had this wave of sadness pass over me because we're not going to get to watch her play anymore, which is one of the true pleasures in basketball. Uh, but it, it, it certainly serves notice that there are some real big changes going on in the WNBA right now, and we are smack dab in the middle of free agency conversation just beginning. Uh, players can start to sign on February 1st, and uh, the Atlanta Dream, a team you have ties to because since you you do just about everything else in women's basketball, you also uh, have been uh, calling their games as a color analyst. Uh, They have a a big loss here with Angel McCautry. What do you do if you are the dream to try and compensate for the fact that for at least a portion, if not the entire season, you're going to be playing without your do-everything number one star? Yeah, that's tough. You know, there's no replacement for Angel McCautry, you know, so that's not even an option. Like, you're not going to go out and be able to sign an an Angel McCautry by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, I think Michael Cooper definitely has his work cut out for him. You know, the good thing is that I feel like the foundation of the team that he has is stronger than I've seen it in a long time. Um, You know, I think the emergence of Elizabeth Williams is huge. You know, what she has become versus what she started out as. 
Um, I, I didn't see that happening. And you got to tip your, your hat to Michael Cooper for, for making that decision. Um, you know, but Tiffany Hayes is a piece that I think will be expected to do more for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think she is capable. Um, I, I think Lasia Clarendon has given the team just a really, really good foundation at the point guard spot, good leadership, good consistency. But I don't think the biggest challenge in this year is, is well, yeah, the biggest challenge is definitely trying to replace Angel McCautry, but it's also the bench. You know, I don't know that they got the contributions down the stretch in the in the regular season um, that they needed. Mm-hmm. And looking at what we have coming this year and what's coming out, you know, there are no Angel McCautries. I don't think there's like a high-volume score at the wing position that can – give you a sentiment of what Angel does. You know, I think where Atlanta is placed in terms of the draft is can they get a Shatori Walker Kimbrough? Right. You know, those would be the kind of things that <clears throat> I, I would I would say they need to look at, but it's gonna be tough losing Angel no matter no matter how you look at it. So to your mind, instead of the type of number one score replacement, it's almost by committee, whether it's whoever they can get in the draft, and, and Shatori would be a, a great fit, uh, and Tiffany, and, and even growth from, let's say, Abria Holmes, who showed a lot of promise in her rookie year, and doing yeah, it uh, yeah. together in that way, huh? Yeah, I think that's what you have to look at, because the thing is, Angel did not say how long, how many games she was going to sit out. Like, mm. we, don't, we don't know. And so you have to be careful in trying to change the dynamic of your team too much because you have one of the best players in the, in the world, yeah. um, you know, that you do expect to come back at some time. So that's challenging, you know. I think um, you don't want to change the team's identity or try to grow too much because when Angel comes back, then how does she fit in? What is that chemistry like? So I think it's more about this using this opportunity, in my opinion, to make the other pieces of the team stronger so that when Angel does return, um, and I, I think they have a good chance to do some things even with Angel out, just a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look at what Phoenix was able to do despite Diana Tarazi and, and Penny Taylor sitting out. You know, like, right. so Juana Bonner grew and other players and pieces. So you didn't have to make major changes, and I think Atlanta needs to grow, use this as a chance to take the possessions that Angel would normally get, spread them around, get more experience, and, and try to grow the team's depth, especially on the bench. Well, and, and of course, someone who helped them get through those losses was Brittany Griner, who is a restricted free agent. So we'll, uh, that, yeah. that, that wouldn't be a bad way to add, too. But you, you don't post-play as much as anybody. So when you think about Elizabeth Williams, and her growth was tremendous last year, and terrific defensive player, uh, but also underrated in terms of her offensive efficiency, do you think ultimately she can be a 2010, that type of player? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. You know, we've never seen Elizabeth Williams healthy. True. You know, that's the thing you have to think about. Like, she was injured in college. You know, she was never 100% when she was at Duke and still was an amazing player. Um, So I think she can absolutely be that. You know, she she grew leaps and bounds this season. What that did for her confidence, um, you know, you can't put a number on. It was just amazing to watch her say, wow, I can have success in this league. Her physical dimensions, people don't realize how long she is, how mm-hmm. quick she is. Um, and, you know, she's learned to have more tenacity. She looks like she is enjoying the game more than I could ever remember her enjoying the game 
in her career. And she credits Michael Cooper and his staff a lot for empowering her, saying, we bought you here because we want you to own this. And so, um, you know, that was big for her. And I, I can only see her growing even more and more every year. Really excited to see it. And, and of course, what Atlanta did was effectively gave up a lottery pick uh, in the trade that allowed him to get Elizabeth Williams from Connecticut. I'm curious, just in terms of the lottery, when you looked at it this year, number one, who you see going uh, in those top few picks as of right now, but number two, do you see a likelihood of some trades happening? You know, you think in terms of San Antonio and some of the players at the top of this draft, if Kelsey Mitchell comes out early, uh, Kelsey Plum, of course, it's not necessarily clear where they would fit on a San Antonio team that's so guard-heavy. So how do you see it shaking out as of right now, and do you think there's going to be uh, some deals that go along with it? I mean, obviously, <laughs> with the uh, potential move of uh, Elena Deladon, you know, <laughs> there, it's going to have a tr- it's going to have a trickle down effect for True. sure. You know, sure. um, with a major move like that, there's there's no way that can happen without some other pieces moving around. But you know, it's been interesting to me, Howard, how the draft has changed based on the decision to leave early. You mm-hmm. know. I mean, what is Diamond DeShields going to do? Right. Um, you know, she said that she wants to stay at Tennessee. Her goal is to win a, a, a national championship or as many as she can. But we know players change. Everyone was surprised when, when Jewel Lloyd came out, you know, and, and Amanda Zowie B coming out. You know, that. so that is, um, that's the piece that keeps everyone a little bit unsure. You know, I don't see how San Antonio can go any other direction than Elena Coates. Mm-hmm. Um, unless they plan on making some other major moves to their roster. You know, what are they going to do with Danielle Robinson? Right. You know, now that you've got Mariah Jefferson. So that could affect what happens um, with that top spot. And, you know, I, I think Coates, to me, is the number one pick, you know, in my opinion, in terms of the player that can have immediate impact based on team need. Mm-hmm. But, again, what will Diamond to Shields do? You know, I see – Kelsey Plum obviously is going to go early. Shatori Walker-Kimborough is the player that, in my opinion, um, when I look at the guards and, and just you know what's coming out, she has the most potential. Hmm. Um, and a lot of it has to do with her size, um, with what she can do on the defensive end, with her quickness, just her overall skill set, her ability to score inside out. I, she's really intriguing to me. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if she, she goes higher than expected. You know, you talked about Diamond DeShields, and, and that's such an interesting question, too, because she's been significantly better on the defensive end this year. She has the tools. I mean, we saw it at the end of the Texas game, too. She took over Notre Dame game last night, but she is able to score, rebound. Her passing is elite. She's able to block shots. She's able to do a little bit of everything. But then you look up at the numbers, and she's shooting 38% from the field. And you compare that kind of efficiency to Shatori Walker-Kimbrough, like you said, and it's night and day. So that's someone who you figure would benefit greatly from another year uh, in college. On the other hand, if she comes out, what team is going to pass on her? You can't imagine a lot of teams are going to, in much the same way that people uh, would love to see Kelsey Mitchell get another year playing the point. But if Kelsey Mitchell comes out, I mean, she's got to be somewhere in that top five, don't you think? Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I think what people don't realize, you know, when, you, when you're looking at like a Diamond to Shields, for example, the pro game is so different from college. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a pick and roll. Um, 
offense, you know, for the most part. It's really about a lot more one-on-one scoring than it is team concepts. Um, defensively, you know, you got to be able to, if, you know, if I'm Atlanta Coles, you got to be able to come out and hard hedge on, on a screen and roll. You know, so the expectations are very different, um, and the game is so different. So I look at those numbers from Diamond, and I think she is going to be a much better and more efficient pro than she has um, on the college game. I just think she, mm-hmm. she's much stronger of an individual player which the WNBA calls for, than um, the college game. And then in terms of Kelsey Plum, who's obviously been central to so much of the conversation in college basketball this year, and rightfully so, what do you see her game translating as? Is she a combo guard at the next level? Does somebody bring her in to play the point? Or, uh, is, and, and is she someone who you think can come in and not just play well right away, but dominate. I'm thinking about the difference between coming in uh, and holding your own and coming in and putting up a year like Sue Bird had her first year, like Diana Taurasi had her first year. Yeah, it's so hard to come in and dominate in your first season at the point guard spot. Like, it's so hard. And I had this conversation with Sue Bird and talked to Breon January just a few months ago, how much that position has changed over time. And what Sue was saying was, you know, one of the challenges as a point guard of the WNBA right now is can you get the ball up the court? Because mm-hmm. the level of athleticism at that position, the quickness, um, the speed, you know, it, it has increased tremendously, whether we're talking about Erica Wheeler or Jameera Faulkner or Brittany Boyd or Jasmine Thomas or, of course, Mariah Jefferson. Um, the game is more athletic than it's ever been. And so at the point guard spot, the expectation – is it doesn't start with can you score. It really starts with um, can you distribute the ball, you know, your ability to be a leader, obviously. Can you defend? Mm-hmm. Um, and then can you knock down some shots when you're open? Because, for example, you know, you look at some of the – or the two teams that made it to the finals. L.A. has talent across the board. You know, you've got NECA and you, you've got Candace, you've got Christie, and so – if you're coming into a WNBA team, you've got most likely scores in place. So the question can be, what are the intangibles at the, at the point guard spot that you can offer? I think that Kelsey Plum has an opportunity to be an outstanding pro. I really, really do. I think that her, her scoring, she, some people say you have a knack for the ball as a rebounder. She has a knack for the net as a scorer. Yes. Like she just knows how to put the ball in the hole. Um, from anywhere on the court, and I and I, and that's something that not every player has. So I think it's about finding the right fit, um, the right team, and I think not having too high of an expectation of her coming in that, that she's going to dominate. I think that's incredibly hard, and I think the talent of WNBA over the 20 years is just at a place where, yeah, you might have been able to do that when Sue came in or when Diana came in, but it's just so hard to do that and. You know, I think if there's a couple of areas, it would be just working on that agility and that mobility at the point guard spot so she can defend, so she doesn't have to worry about foul trouble and those kind of things like a Shoney Schimmel or we've seen some other players, you know, struggle with coming from the, the college level. But as far as her ability to score, I mean, unbelievable. I, I just, it's been 
it's been a long time since I remember seeing a player that is that fun to watch. Uh, the, I mean, the name she's passing on the all-time leading scorer list in the NCAA. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, just, <laughs> it's just a crazy thing to see. And, and, and as far yeah. as her teammate goes, uh, Chantel Osahor, it, it it's such an interesting grab bag of skills. You know, this elite passing mm-hmm. that you wouldn't necessarily expect out of a player her size and, you know, that famous three-point shot. What does she bring and how does she fit in a league that, like you said, uh, it uh, has greater athleticism with each passing year? But I guess the flip side is, how do you defend her when there's really no one in the lead that makes a lot of sense as uh, a worthy foil to her? Yeah, you mean Osahor? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I. You know, she's a she's such a fun watch. You know, and um, it, it's challenging because obviously the game is faster. And so you first have to look at, okay, what system would she be in? In my opinion, and this is just my broad stroke, I feel like Western Conference teams are more spread the floor, um, run offense, more balanced, where Eastern Conference teams are are very much up and down, one-on-one. So style play comes into into consideration. And um, that would be a concern, you know, can she keep up with the pace of game? But, I mean, as far as her ability to shoot it, her IQ, um, she makes up for a lot of that because she's a smart player. And so it it would be challenging. I think she would really have to commit to a higher level of fitness for sure. But if she could do that and, and put herself in a space where she could get up and down the floor and could really, um, you know, stick with, with the pace of the WNBA game, She'd be a huge asset. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would and, love and to I, see her like in, in in Chicago playing as a four next to Imani Boyette. I think would be a really interesting fit. Uh, and and you know, with yeah. Boyette is more of a rim protector. Um, well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot in just a moment and ask you what one free agent move or trade you think needs to happen this offseason. You're hoping to see any team in the WNBA. I'm gonna start with mine. The trade I think that needs to happen is Danielle Robinson going to the New York Liberty, putting them in a position to add at the point guard position. And I think they have a number of bids that could go in exchange. I could see Amanda Zowie B being a perfect fit for San Antonio's up and down, uh, someone who could protect the rim, who could get boards, and can also participate in that three-point shot. So that is the the transaction I would like to see happen for the sake of the league this offseason. What about you? Do you have one in mind that you'd like to see happen? Oh, man. Ooh, that is tough. Um, ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I I have a lot of respect for Danielle Robinson. You know, I think she's an outstanding point guard. Mm-hmm. I think when she is healthy, um, you know, just her ability to run an offense, her leadership, her speed can be fantastic. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing Danielle Robinson come to the Atlanta Dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're laughing. I know. Um, and what I would what I would probably look to do there is, um, you know, I think the transition game that Atlanta plays, she'd be fantastic there. Yeah. I think you move Lasia Claren into the two spot. Um, and, you know, it, that, and obviously that's a, a smaller, a little bit more challenging 
position to be in, you know, well, but without Angel, you know, you kind of need that extra point. You need extra possession. So mm-hmm. I think they could be a running team. And then, I mean, Atlanta has a, a lot of size to choose from if you're, if you're San Antonio. Maybe not enough to make a trade. Um, I don't know if they have enough star power to match what a Danielle Robinson would require, but they've got depth. They've got Gray, you know, Holloway, Gatling. They've got some sides that they could at least work on, um, but no one that could really start. So, yeah, that doesn't sound like a good trade. But, actually, that, but the seven pick, Howard. too. <laughs> they, they could go with the seven pick, too. Um, you you might package yeah. that. Yeah, that that's. Yeah. I I think it says it speaks volumes about Daniel Robinson's game that I'm New York based and I'm suggesting she go to New York and you yeah, have the opportunity to see her in Atlanta. Well, and I would, yeah. I would also like to see Elena Deladon. Um, you know, I'd like to see her land in Washington. Yeah. You know, I'd love to see her under Mike Tebow. I'm sure she'd like to be closer to home. Um, and and they're missing something. You mm-hmm. know. And they've got a ton of talent on that roster. And so, you know, pick your poison as far as what you trade her for. I mean, across the board. But I think that would be a great fit as far as his system, the emphasis he puts on the four position. Um, You know, I'd like to see them make that happen. It's just about what Washington can offer. You you know, you wonder. And what other teams could get involved. Washington's. I've reported this is uh, taking Emma Meesman off the table as uh, someone they would consider trading, and and you just wonder if they're able to pull it off. And you have a front line of Steph Dolson and Emma Meesman and Elena Deladon. What possible team in this league could match up with the three of them? Uh, you know, six five, six four players who are able to step out, who are able to uh, score around the basket. It would be. I think like nothing we've ever seen. So it would be incredible, and Lord knows I'd like to see some good news in Washington for a change. So that would be yeah. a good thing. <laughs> well, so that would yeah for sure. So let's talk about the the week ahead, not in Washington, but where you're going to be, which is as usual everywhere. Uh, take me through. Uh, let's see. What do you have? One game, two games. How many games between Thursday and Sunday? More than two. I have. I have three games. Three games. Game. Yes. I have <laughs> Thursday, um, Wake Forest at Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, then I have Providence at Seton Hall on Friday. And then I've got uh, Notre Dame at, at Carolina on, on Sunday. <sighs> I am tired just thinking about how much. You <laughs> know. Wow. It's, it's one of basketball. Howard, it, you it, know. Oh, listen. I, it. I, we do it for the love of it, but my goodness, uh, we are all thankful, I know, for the type of time that you put in and the and the effort and what you bring to it. Well, LaChina Robinson, thank you so much for being with us today. And, and just a reminder to our listeners that you can follow us on Twitter, at LockedOnWBB. Uh, make sure, by the way, you follow, I, I can't imagine you don't, but follow LaChina Robinson and listen to Around the Rim, which I understand there's some new shows coming our way, and I, for one, can't wait. Uh, you can also uh, like us on Facebook, Locked On Women's Basketball, and go ahead and subscribe to us uh, on iTunes or your podcast, Listen of Choice. Uh, I am Howard Magdal, wishing you a wonderful day.